last Sunday entitled Jehovah Rapha. And we'll begin reading again in Exodus 15 and verse 22. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, when there were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters." Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah meaning self-existing one, Rapha means to heal, to cure, or it could be translated to be a physician. So we could say Jehovah is our physician. Last Sunday we looked at the name in particular, the fact that God says, I am Jehovah Rapha means that he did not become on this occasion, he did not start being the great physician, he always has been from everlasting to everlasting, which means that God delights to be the great physician. His desire, his will to be so is not depending on his patience. As patients, we need God, but God's nature and God's attributes are eternal, and therefore it's not dependent on how good of a patient we are or how bad of a patient we are, only that we need the doctor because we are sinners. And we consider the fact that although God is our healer, He has not promised to heal us of every physical sickness, but every spiritual sickness, in that He forgives all our iniquities. And we looked at Jesus Christ, how His physical ministry of healing was pointing to the greater ministry of spiritual healing. And he often pointed to the fact that his power to heal was his power to say and to forgive sinners of their sins. Now we look at the condition for healing. Moses says through God here, If you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God and do what is right in his sight, And if you will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, then he will not bring upon them all the diseases he brought upon the Egyptians, because I am Jehovah that healeth thee. So there's a condition annexed with experiencing God as Jehovah the healer. So a few questions we ask concerning this point. Why is there a condition? Number two, is that good news for us today? And number three, do conditions nullify the grace of God? Do conditions nullify? Now, we assume they do. We assume that when a condition given, that means we must work to meet the condition, which work obviously nullifies grace. But I hope to see that Conditions that are given by grace do not nullify the grace of God. So consider, how is this good news? Would you consider it good news to hear those words? If you want to experience me as Jehovah, the healer, the one that heals you, then you've got to keep all the commandments and all the statutes and ordinances. Now, if you're a delusional Pharisee this morning, you might accept the challenge, although being totally deceived as to your ability to actually keep statutes and ordinance. And by the way, statutes would include the Ten Commandments, although God has not given any at this point, beginning in chapter 16, and all the way through Exodus, God is going to give many commandments and statutes and ordinances. 
And in general, here he lays it out. Do whatever is right in my sight and keep my commandments, which God will then through Moses give to the children of Israel. But if you understand yourself to be a bankrupt sinner before God, then you would say, go ahead and release the kraken. Let the diseases come. So why is this good news then? Three reasons this is good news this morning. The first reason is that God didn't say to do anything. He said to listen to me. If you will diligently hearken and do, if you will give ear to my commandments and keep, then I will put none of these diseases upon you. God is not telling them to keep statutes first. He is telling them to give ear, to listen. To what God says. In the Bible, the apostles in particular call this the hearing of faith. The hearing of faith. The hearing of trusting in what Jehovah says and who He is. Romans chapter 10 and the 17th verse says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith expresses itself. Faith grows Faith is strengthened. Faith manifests itself. How? By hearing. And hearing is specifically what Jehovah says. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. If you will hear His words, then He will put no diseases on you. And He will be your Jehovah Rapha. So it's the hearing of faith, Paul says, that hears something specific. What does it hear? about the nature of God, the attributes of God, about who God is as Jehovah Rapha. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul would write to the churches of Galatia who had received or were receiving another gospel, which was no gospel at all, Paul would say. If anybody bring unto you another gospel, if any angel of heaven bring another gospel, let him be accursed, Paul would say. Then in chapter 3, he speaks about this gospel, and says, O Galatians, who hath bewitched you, who hath cast a spell upon you, that you should not believe the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently crucified before you? This only would I learn of you. Paul says, this is the one thing I want to know, because they had embraced the law of Moses, in particular circumcision, as a means of blessing from God, and as a means of salvation. From the Judaizers. So Paul wants to know this. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So what Paul is saying is this. Go back to your own experience when you received the gospel. Was it at the moment when surgery was performed on you and you were actually circumcised that you received the Spirit? The gifts of the Spirit, which in that day would have been the miraculous sign gifts which some of them had received. Did the Spirit manifest itself in your life at the time of being circumcised or the hearing of faith, the hearing of the gospel? And clearly in their experience and in yours, if you're a believer, it was at the time that we heard the gospel of our salvation. So Paul there is saying there's a hearing that God demands, and it's the hearing of faith and not the doing of the works of the law. If you will diligently hearken to me, God says in my voice, if you will give ear to what I say, then God will be Jehovah your healer. And then also we find in Romans chapter 1 verse 5, Paul speaks this word in a more general sense to the nations. He would say, In verse 4, Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. By whom I have received, Paul, grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for His name's sake, among whom you also were called by Jesus Christ. Paul has received grace, and that grace was for apostleship, or apostleship. And Paul said the reason is for the obedience that comes from faith among all nations 
for the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ. So Paul is not going to tell everybody they need to work for God. He's not going to first tell them they need to obey God or keep commands. He is first, as an apostle, going to speak to the nations at that time, to the Gentiles and the Jews, and tell them they needed to hear what God was saying. It, they needed to hear the hearing of faith, and then from faith, obedience would follow. So the first reason this is good news is because God is not telling them they have to keep commandments in order to be or experience Him as Jehovah Rapha. He is saying they first need to hear. They need to listen. And in the Bible we know faith means they need to see. They need to embrace. They need to receive. They need to rest. They need to treasure. They need to delight in what God says. Secondly, it's good news because of what we hear by faith. And what is it that the Israelites should have heard? What would they hear in this occasion? Which I think is pointing to what we hear today by faith. What God would be telling them even in the Old Testament through Moses as a type of Christ. They would hear the tree being cast into the waters. They would see a tree that was nearby, for which God specifically said, take that tree, cast it in the waters, and the waters were made sweet. It was there at Marah that God made for them a statute and an ordinance. It was there in those waters that God proved them and said these words. Now, beloved, I don't want to make too much of the tree, But we shouldn't make too little of the tree. Because the apostles in the New Testament specifically call the cross of Christ a tree. A tree by which bitter waters are made sweet for Israel. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul would say, For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ became a curse and delivered us from the curse of the law. How? He was hanged upon a tree. It was this experience that I think is typologically pointing to Christ for which God gives this statute, this condition, this ordinance that they were to hear. The hearing of faith. Peter would say, remember... In 1 Peter chapter 2, in about the 24th verse, where he would say that Jesus is an example for us, who when he reviled, reviled not again. When he was threatened, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, might live under righteousness, by whose stripes... You are healed. Rapha. Now that's not the Greek word for healed. But it is in the Hebrew. By whose stripes, Isaiah 53, 6. By whose stripes you are healed. By whose wounds you are forgiven. By whose chastisement we are given peace. So the tree that Christ hanged on. The tree brings us. To the place where we're dead to sin, no longer dead in sin, so that we may live to God or live unto righteousness. So the hearing of faith is not being righteous by what we do, it is receiving righteousness by what Christ did, and then being dead to sin, no longer being controlled by it and dominated by it anymore by virtue of new birth and faith. We live for righteousness. We live for God. We are surrendered now to God, not because we bring Him our righteousness, but because He gives us His righteousness. So specifically what we're to hear in order to experience Jehovah Rapha is to hear the righteousness of Christ, to hear the revelation of God in Christ, and to receive it by faith. Now let me illustrate that just with... Your own human experience with a human physician. See, our healing spiritually is united to Jehovah Rapha by hearing. Just like your healing physically 
is united with your doctor by hearing your doctor. If you don't hear your doctor, you never receive his healing. Is that not true? Before you ever go to surgery, before you ever take a pill, before you ever change your diet, you will never receive the healing of the doctor until you embrace everything he says, right? First, you must hear his wisdom. You go in the office and sometimes I look and see the plaques on the wall, you know. There may be schools that I see he went to that I may leave the office. <laughs> Not every school is alike. But there is an assumption, there is an embracing that this man has the wisdom to heal. Or you wouldn't be there. In fact, we talk to one another. We ask each other, well, who's your doctor? Are you pleased with your doctor? He's the greatest. He knows what to do. Or she knows exactly what I need. If you don't have that confidence, if you don't hear and trust that wisdom, then you don't experience the healing of that doctor. And in fact, you would never experience the healing of any doctor if you're one of those people who think you know more than doctors. Now, I'm not trying to put doctors up on a pedestal. They're humans, and sometimes they don't know. But the point is, you receive the wisdom. Secondly, you believe he's right or righteous, don't you? I mean, I think he knows, but is he right? He says, I need surgery. Is that right? Now, if you don't think he's right, guess what? You'll never go under his knife, will you? In fact, if you search and search and search, and you can't find a doctor that you think is right, you will never, ever experience the healing of the doctor because you will not hear the doctor. You won't hear him. He must be right. At least, humanly speaking, you think he's right. I've heard some bad experiences when people thought a doctor was right and they got out of surgery and found out they were wrong. But just stay with the illustration. He must be wise. He must be right. He must be skilled. Right? I think he has the wisdom and the knowledge. I think he went to the right schools and has the right experience. I think he has the right education. And I think he's right. But can he really be skilled at the surgery? Is he good at it? So I want to talk to a few people. See, has this man been successful? You know, out of 10 out of 10 people that he's operated on, have 10 survived? Has, has he or she done a good job? So he must be wise. He must be right. He must be skilled. And you must hear that. Because if you don't hear it, your, your healing is never united with the doctor's wisdom, righteousness, and skill. And what about care? If you're not convinced that this doctor has your best interest at heart, if he's rough, if he just appears that he doesn't care. In fact, you've probably been to a doctor. All the reviews were, he's wise, he'll, he'll be right, he knows, he's skilled, but he was rough. He wasn't kind. I don't think I want to hear what he says. Now, what's the point? If you do not hear from Jehovah Rapha, you will never be healed. Not in this life or not in the next one. Because what God demands is the hearing of faith. Whereby we embrace all that Christ is for us. Really, to sum it up, to go to a doctor and hear from a doctor, you have to be satisfied with everything the doctor is on your behalf. If there's one thing that you can point to, I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with his knowledge. I'm not satisfied of whether he cares. I'm really not satisfied he can do the work. Then you will not hear. You will not rest. You will not embrace. And you will not experience the healing of that doctor. But God says to Israel, before you ever do anything, before ever we talk about commandments, you need to hear and embrace who I am for you as Jehovah Rapha and rest in the healing power of God because our spiritual healing is united to Jehovah Rapha through hearing what he says. And then what does the doctor say? Listen, it's bad. You've got some deep problems. So as a patient, 
The only condition you need to meet is that you know you're desperately, desperately sick. That's the only condition you meet. You are convinced that what the doctor says is right. I'm desperately, desperately sick. And in this case, the doctor's prescription is what? You've got to change. You've got to hear what I'm saying first. You've got to believe what I'm saying. And now we've got to have a total transformation. You can't go on living the way you did before you came to my office. You can't eat that stuff anymore. You've got to go on a strict diet called righteous and holy living. You see, taking the medicine and going under the knife in surgery is just proving you believe the doctor. There's no merit in that. There's no earning anything by going under the scalpel. You're just highlighting the sufficiency, the glory, and the brilliance of the doctor by receiving everything he says. You get no credit for that. He gets all the credit. Repentance is what God demands along with faith because your repentance demonstrates you really believe the doctor. Your holiness or the pursuit of holiness demonstrates you really trust, you embrace, you're satisfied with everything the doctor says because he says, I want you to listen to me and I want you to change the what and the way of your eating. And that's just an illustration of a human doctor. I want you to take this three times a day, every day. Okay. Now, why would you do that? I trust what he says is right. Now, how much faith do we put in human doctors? And yet, when it comes to Jehovah Rapha, we're skeptical. We doubt. Maybe we're not sure. But yet, we put our lives and lay down on the stretcher or the surgery bed and go to sleep. Hoping, trusting, this person knows what they're doing. Beloved, the condition of the hearing of faith is necessary to unite the healing of Jehovah Rapha. If we do not trust God and repent, we will never ever experience Jehovah Rapha. So the condition is not work for God. The condition is not do works. The condition is listen and do, hear and keep commands. And what are we hearing? Christ has kept the commands. Christ has already done it at our physician. So the keeping of commands and the keeping of statutes and loving one another is simply proof we love, we trust, we've embraced, we're satisfied with the plaque on the wall that says, Redemption accomplished. Jesus paid it all. So that is good news, isn't it? The good news of hearing is not the good news of doing. It's the good news of resting in the work of another person, namely Jehovah Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, Jesus, the great and glorious physician. Now, does a condition nullify the grace of God? That's a valid concern, isn't it? Believing that God is sovereign and grace is free. And grace is without price and you can't earn it and can't merit it. How then does a condition not nullify the grace of God? Because there are conditions that are unconditional, all of grace. And there are conditions that God gives us that are still all of grace. For example, election is a condition or is an unconditional grace rather. You don't ask for it. You don't merit it. It happened before the world began and God shows us in Christ before He ever created a single thing. That's not something you merit. Secondly, regeneration is an unconditional grace. Dead men can't believe. Dead men can't see. Dead men can't hear. Dead men can't do anything. And so we were dead in sins, but we've been quickened by the Holy Spirit. There is no conditions to meet. You can't meet the condition if there was. So unconditional election and unconditional new birth and regeneration have no conditions attached. But like here and throughout the Bible, we see conditions, don't we? For example... Psalm 33, verse 18. The eyes of the Lord are upon those that fear Him. 
So you've got to fear God for His eyes to be on you, right? How about Exodus 20, the very Ten Commandments? Showing mercy to thousands of them that love Him and keep His commandments. Meaning what? You get mercy if you love God. If you don't love God and you don't meet that condition, you don't get mercy. James chapter 2, verse 13, Blesses the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to all those that love Him. That's a condition. You must love God to get the crown. Romans 8, 28, For we, all that, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Don't love God? Don't meet the condition? Nothing works together for good on your behalf. Nothing. Ever. And then faith is a condition. Faith. Even Paul says in Ephesians 6, 24, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon all those that love Him. So no grace without loving God. And then there's 1 Peter chapter 5 and James chapter 4. God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. So unless you're humble, you get no grace. That's a condition. But the point, beloved, is that whatever condition grace demands, grace also provides. Right? In Deuteronomy 29 verse 4, Moses says to these very people when they're about to go into Canaan, or at least their offspring, since this generation would die in the wilderness. He would say, Your eyes have seen the great miracles and the wonders God did to Egypt and to Pharaoh and the great works that He has done. But unto this day, God has not given you a heart to perceive, eyes to see, or ears to hear. Now that's the condition for the text, isn't it? If you will hear my voice, but God had not given them ears to hear His voice. Right? But in Deuteronomy 36, we find this. The Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love the Lord thy God, so you may live. So, beloved, whatever condition God demands, grace supplies by giving the very faith that He demands in order that we may hear the condition that God stipulates, as stated in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you being saved, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're being saved through faith, by grace, through faith, and that's not a work, because it's not of works, but it is a faith that it may be by grace. And why does God give the condition of faith alone that He grants? Because it excludes all boasting. See? This condition of hearing, the hearing of faith, is God's way of securing His own glory and eliminating boasting and securing His own boast. Because Christ is what? Of God. He has made unto us our wisdom, our sanctification, our redemption. Christ has made for us those things. And by receiving that by faith, God's grace is being supplied in such a way that we are looking, we are resting, we are hearing, we are seeing, we are treasuring who Christ is. And by that, the condition that God supplies and meets, grace is being exalted, we're being humbled, and we're being united to Jehovah Rapha. Even Paul himself would say concerning faith in Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate or nullify the grace of God. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Paul says, faith does not nullify grace. Works do, but faith doesn't. Why? Because faith is the, the overflow of Christ in you. Faith is resting and rejoicing in who Christ is. Faith is looking away from itself to the physician. 
and receiving and resting the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption, applying 1 Corinthians one twenty nine of the physician and resting in it. So God gets the glory with the condition. We get the grace. And whatever God is demanding, we find even with Israel, the remnant of Israel, God would give them a heart to perceive. God would give them eyes to see. And God would give them ears to hear so that they could fulfill the very condition that God demands. So that from start to finish, whether it's unconditional grace or grace that comes with qualifications and conditions from start to finish, God supplies, God is the great physician, and God is exalted. He gets glory, we get healing. Through what? Hearing. Beloved, have you heard Christ today? Can it be said of you that you have the hearing of faith? Do you hear, do you see the meaning of the cross? Have you received the prescription of the doctor which says you may not go on living? As a doctor may say, putting that stuff in your body. You may not use your life that way any longer. You must hear me and repent. And then you're united with Jehovah, your healer. He delights to heal you. It's His will to heal you. The only thing that keeps you from healing is your inability to hear. Have you heard the gospel? I know you've heard it, but have you heard it? Or as Jesus says, do you have ears to hear? Then hear what Jesus says as your great Redeemer and as your great healer. But then thirdly and lastly, we see in this text, That God proved them there. He proved them there. What is the sickness in particular that needs to be healed? We could say in general all sin and all sin is healed in Christ. All sin is forgiven. But there's a reason He brought them tomorrow. There's a reason that God revealed Himself as Jehovah Rapha here. There's a reason He proved them there at the waters of Marah. Now you remember... The word proving means to test, to assay. It's like a proving ground, an environment where a product is tested, like a piece of equipment. And the idea is to demonstrate if it really works. Now, the idea here in the proving of Israel is not to see if Israel worked. We just talked about that, right? It's to see if Israel will hear. That's the point. Will they hear what Jehovah says? Exodus 16, we see God proving them. Will they keep His law or no? Rather, will they hear Jehovah and then do what He says? Follow His prescription. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, Moses says, The whole 40 years was a proving ground to know what was in their heart, whether they would keep His commandments or no, or whether they would hear what? The voice of the Lord of God. Because Deuteronomy 8, 3 says what? That you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but what? Every word. That's the voice of God, isn't it? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. Now, beloved, if Jehovah Rapha is your healer, are you living by every word? Are you hearing God's voice in the word, in what He says your life shall be about? So what in particular is the sickness that has infected Israel? The disease that's rampant in Israel? Well, you've probably already seen it. It's very clear. It's complaining and bitterness. They murmured at the waters of Marah. There he proved them. Right there. And the waters were bitter. That's why they called it Marah. That's why Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. Bitterness. Complaining is a repeated expression of what? Disappointment and dissatisfaction with the situations and the people God has placed in your life. Situations, no matter how deep, how dark, people... No matter how irritating, 
you may think they are. Complaining is a repeated expression of dissatisfaction with God, what God is doing, and who God has placed in your life. Bitterness is not far behind. Now, complaining is not always rooted in bitterness, but here I think it is. Both bitterness and complaining have a common denominator of displeasure and anger, but bitterness is a a deeper disappointment. That has happened. A crisis maybe. A marriage crisis. A financial crisis. A sickness that you cried out to God and it seems as if God never heard you. Or an injury. An abuse. A pain that was so deep. A disappointment. That the anger and displeasure lodge rooted deeper in the soul. See? Now bitterness can be expressed in complaining. In that we just constantly irritated. Just Frustrated, irritated with people and situations. It just keeps popping up, popping up in our relationships routinely. But the real issue we know is the hearing of faith, right? Complaining and bitterness would prevent Israel from hearing the voice of the Lord God. And therefore, they would never keep the commandments of God. That's what I want to try to show you in the little time we have left. First of all, where did this bitterness come from? Exodus chapter 1 When a new king arose that didn't know uh, Joseph, they said, the people of Israel are becoming numerous. They're going to rise up against us with our enemies and overtake us. So they enslaved them with bitter bondage. They made their lives hard with bitter bondage and rigor, severe cruelty, with bricks and mortar. Now Israel knew that God was going to visit them one day because Joseph took an oath of Israel before he died and said, when you leave, when God visits you, you take my bones with you. How did Moses know that? He didn't even know Joseph. And yet when they leave, he gets the bones of Joseph just like the oath was made and they take them with them. How did he know that? Because that information was passed down. And here they are, 400 years of bitter Bondage. Where is God? The disappointment, the heartache. Maybe you've got some bitterness, a disappointment, a heartache in your past, something in your childhood, some crisis, something that you've wrestled with, something that you haven't been able to get rid of that's deeply rooted that affects all your relationships. And it's often expressed with complaint after complaint after complaint. And then in Exodus chapter 4, when Moses shows up and does the signs that God tells him, they were relieved and they worshiped God and said, God has visited us. And then in the next chapter, what happens? Moses appears before Pharaoh. God said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I may listen to him? I will not let them go. In fact, the people are idle and I'm going to require them to make bricks with no straw. And they were scattered about looking for stubble to make brick. And they have to meet the same quota. And when they didn't, the taskmasters whipped the princes of Israel. So from bitterness to hope to disappointment again and deeper bitterness. And so when they see Moses and Aaron after that, they said, The Lord judge you, for you have made our savour to stink among the Egyptians. And they seek to slay us. They were bitter. Because they were disappointed again and again and again. And then finally, there is redemption. And then what happens? They come three days to the waters of Marah. And their bitterness is expressed again through complaining. Complaining. Was it that God was using the pools of Marah as a reflection to see in their own hearts at the bitterness that was lodged There, complaining is dangerous and bitterness is dangerous because it prevents us from hearing the word of the Lord. Now let me show you how that's true. Exodus chapter 16, we see another occasion. In verse 3, the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gain or gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So God's still proving them. He's texting them. He's merciful. And He gives them flesh in the evening, quail, but He gives them manna, and that's going to last for 40 years. Now, they were to gather a certain rate every day, every man according to his eating, which means as much as you can eat. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Now, when they gathered, they measured it with an omer, a, a unit of measurement. And those that gathered much had nothing over. Those that gathered less to their eating had no wants, which means this. Everybody had enough, right? Now, if you gather much and you have nothing over, you have enough. And if you gather less and you're not lacking, then you have enough. And that's the point, isn't it? If complaining is a dissatisfaction with God, then having enough is what? You're content with your situation or with your lot or with the people in your life because you're content with God. You have enough. Now what happened? They didn't listen. They didn't hearken. So some of them tried to store up overnight and then it stank and bred worms. Moses was wrong. What was wrong? They didn't really think they'd have enough for tomorrow, did they? And then some of them got up on Sabbath and tried to look for manna because they didn't really trust God that the two-day supply was enough. Enough. That's what contentment means, isn't it? Having enough. Now, what would you have done? Let's say for 40 years. Would you not have complained because you thought you had enough? I'm kind of a meat guy. In fact, I like variety. I like seasoning, but... Just manna for 40 years? How would you have done? Now, parents, imagining, uh, explaining to your five-year-old when, when she or he says, Mommy, what's for breakfast? Well, manna. What about lunch? Manna again. Anything different from dinner? No, the Lord said manna was enough. It's enough. That'd be tough, wouldn't it? And then you tell her, Honey, guess what? you got to eat this until you're 45 because 40 plus 5 is 45 and... That's 40 years in the wilderness. 45 years with just manna. How could you be content with just manna? Reminds me of what you used to hear years ago, maybe our parents and grandparents, if you're in my age group, where they would say about a young man and a young woman that got married, They didn't have two pennies to rub together. That's just an old idiom to mean very, very poor. If you were to ask a couple if they were to be married, how how do you think you're going to make it? We'll live on love, they would say. Probably heard that. Say, well, yeah, I get that. That's good. But what about the groceries? Which they might say, if we have to live on peanut butter sandwiches for 40 years, we'll be satisfied. Because I get to be with her. Or I get to be with Him. Isn't that the point, beloved? God had brought them with eagle's wings to Himself. Yes, I can imagine the struggle with eating manna every day. But they were with God. See? God is the source of contentment. And God is the key and the remedy for healing of bitterness and complaining. They're dissatisfied with God. Reminds me of this song, not that I knew the song, but I did Google and came upon this song by Alan Jackson. It goes like this. Two young people without a thing say some vows and spread their wings and settle down with just what they need, living on love. She don't care about what's in style. She just likes the way he smiles. It takes more than marble and tile living on love. Two old people without a thing, children gone, but still they sing. Side by side in that front porch swing, living on love. He can't see anymore. She can barely sweep the floor. Hand in hand, they'll walk through that door just living on love. Living on love, buying on time. Without somebody, nothing ain't worth a dime. That was hard to say. Just like an old-fashioned storybook rhyme, living on love. It sounds simple, that's what you're thinking, but love can walk through fire without blinking. It doesn't take much when you get Enough living on love. Enough. Now that's debatable whether and how well a young couple can do just living on love as human beings. But the point I'm making, 
when you have enough of God's love and God's grace, then you truly can live on the love of God. Now, how is it then that complaining prevents us from hearing and then prevents us from keeping commands? And what are those commands throughout the Bible? The command is to sacrifice yourself, live for other people. But you see, if you're complaining and bitter, you can't live for other people because you're dissatisfied. And the hearing of faith means you're satisfied with what God is and who He is and what He says. And then to be satisfied means I have enough. And if I have enough, then I can give of what I have because I have enough in God. So complaining and bitterness was a disease rampant among Israel that meant just on the human level they could not hear what God says because they could not be dissatisfied with who God is as their healer so long as they're complaining and they're bitter and God is not enough. He's not enough. Beloved, is, is, is God your physician enough for you? That's something we have to learn, isn't it? Now, two things in closing to help us with that. We need to remember God's mercy and remember God's providence. And, and, and certainly there, there are more remedies in the Bible than that, but all I have time for this morning. It had just been one month in Exodus 16. It was three days in Exodus 15. After they'd seen a great display of mercy, God's mercy redeemed them. And now in chapter 16, all they can remember is the flesh pots and the bread to the full. I wondered why they didn't remember the hard bondage. Typically, that's the problem with bitterness and complaining. All that can be remembered is the bitter past. All that can be remembered is the injury. All that can be remembered is what happened to me. I think they're remembering the bread and the flesh pots, if that was true. I'm sure the Egyptians fed them well enough to have strength to work. I'm not sure exactly what kind of food they have. But they're trying to manipulate Moses. If they can guilt Moses, then they can get what they want and be satisfied with what they want instead of seeing God as enough in what God gives them. Because He's training them. That's what He says in Deuteronomy. Suffered you to hunger so that you would know that man shall not live by bread alone. That you would know that the voice of God must be to you like the bread is for the body. Something that is enough. It's enough. It's, it's strengthening. It's satisfying. It's delightful to the soul. Or they would never move out in doing what God says unless they hear by faith. So they manipulate Moses and they falsely accuse Moses. Better people will do that. Falsely accused. You, you brought us out here to kill us. That was the furthest thing from the truth. Secondly, they probably had not exhausted all their food supplies. They hadn't slaughtered any animals yet. They did bring animals with them. Maybe they were getting low and in their panic, because they're a dissatisfied people, they're a complaining people, they start to manipulate Moses or try to say, oh, it was much better in the past. It wasn't. But their selective memory is designed to give them what they want in the present. And so they charge Moses, and Moses is not guilty. What's the problem? They cannot remember mercy. And that's our problem sometimes. That was a problem with Jeremiah, isn't it? Remembering the wormwood and the gall, my soul still hath them in remembrance and is humbled within me. I'm just sunk. I'm sinking. Why? Because that's all I can think about. A bitter person, a complaining person, all they can think is about the horizontal disappointment. That's all they can think about. And Jeremiah, for three chapters in Lamentations, that's all he can think about. Until he recalled to mind, therefore he had hope. He resolved to think about the mercy of God. And what did he say? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If we could just look up for a moment. That's not to say there's not cause for pain and disappointment horizontally. There are people that disappoint you. There are people that forsake you. There are people that hurt you. There are people that harm you. When you look up at the mercy of God, you understand the whole reason you're even here and you have any hope is God's sheer sovereign mercy. 
There is no cause in you for him to be merciful to you. It's simply because he's delighted to show mercy to you. And he's bestowed mercy and grace upon you. His compassions cannot be exhausted. His tender love towards you. Surely, goodness and mercy is chasing me. It's running after you. Remember that in all your pain and disappointment, there's not a moment where God has not been so good to you and that His mercy has been running after you, chasing you every single moment of your existence. That'll help you with bitterness. They couldn't remember for a moment, three days, and nobody in the whole congregation says, Brethren, wait a minute. Have we forgotten the mercies of God? Nobody says it because nobody can hear because everybody's complaining and bitter. That's all they can remember. That's all Jeremiah can remember until he recalled to mind the mercy, the compassion, the newness of God's mercies every morning and the faithfulness of God to His covenant. God cannot break covenant with you. He cannot. He's promised. He's sworn. And therefore, new mercies are coming to you in fresh ways, in ways that sometimes we don't identify them. In ways that sometimes are difficult. In ways that can be painful. So if we're not aware of God's mercies, we won't have a kind and tender heart. We can't even forgive one another. That's what complaining and bitterness does. Paul would say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it away. Ask God to help you. Lord, help me. I know my struggle with bitterness. I know my struggle with complaining. I want to put it away. Help me, Lord. He'll answer that prayer. And then be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Kind means benevolent as opposed to harsh. Are you a harsh person in your relationships? Are your words harsh? Severe. Bitter is the opposite of kind in the Greek. Are you kind to your spouse? Yeah, but you know, she does, he does. Are you kind? See? Beloved, God does not have supply chain problems. There are no boats of grace waiting for somebody to unload. His mercy and grace is showered upon you every day. The only thing that's keeping you from it is your lack of hearing. See, if you're bitter and complaining, you're not hearing the gospel and you're not hearing from God. Be kind, tender-hearted. The word there means, it, it speaks of the, 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 the bowels. In the Jewish culture, they would use that word because that's where we feel compassion. You know, it kind of rises up in the, in the midsection. So, bowels of affection. So, how can you be kind rather than complaining and be tender-hearted rather than bitter? Because it's going to require you to forgive one another even as God in Christ hath forgiven you. It's to remember mercy. If you can't extend grace, you have forgotten grace. If you can't be kind and forgive, you've lost sight of grace and mercy. Could you imagine asking an Israelite to forgive you? <laughs> they wouldn't do it, I suppose. Complaining and bitterness needs to be put away with a kind and tender heart because we remember whatever the offense toward me is nothing compared to the offense I have given to God. And that's really the issue, isn't it? My bitterness, my complaining, I'm trying to make people pay for making me miserable. That's why I'm complaining about you all the time. I'm going to make you pay. It may be subtle. You know, it may be innuendo, but I, I'm complaining all the time because you're going to pay for making my life the way it is. And you're going to pay for the harm you did me. Or are you going to pay for what you did to God? Want to go there? We don't, do we? See, Jesus paid it. And your lack of forgiveness toward others, God says, He's not going to forgive you. That's pretty strong language. I don't think he means in this life only. I think he means if you are an unforgiving person, he'll never forgive you. If you don't forgive from the heart. Matthew 18, the parable of the king and the servant. Why couldn't the servant who was forgiven so much forgive 
the servant that owed him so little? And the king said, you should have had compassion. In other words, you should have been kind and tender-hearted because of the great debt I forgave you. He couldn't do it because he couldn't remember it. He totally forgot it. Maybe he thought he deserved it. Maybe he thought he earned it. It never entered his mind, according to the parable, that I should forgive this small debt because of the great debt I have to the king that he forgave me. And it's the same with your forgiveness. If you can't forgive because you're bitter and have a complaining spirit, it's because your heart is not kind, your heart is not tender at that moment, because all you can think about is yourself. Your pain instead of the glory of God and the mercy of God that forgave you such a great debt. And then secondly, we have to remember the providence of God. Why were they at Marah? And why did they have manna? And why did God lead them the way he did? Because he was providing. It was his providence. It was all from God. So Moses says, uh, your, your murmuring is not against us. Who are we? In other words, we didn't redeem you. It wasn't even our idea. We didn't lead you. We didn't guide you. We didn't bring you tomorrow. We didn't suggest God do manna. We, we didn't suggest anything. It's all of God's guidance and it's His providence. So therefore, you're rejecting the providence of God. Imagine saying that, Lord, I'm not satisfied with the wisdom you use and the way you work things out in my life. In fact, God sent the injustice, didn't He? Whatever injustice you are experiencing that's made you bitter, God sent it. Whatever the pain, whatever the sorrow, God sent it by His providence for a purpose. His aim is to train you. His love is coming to you. And He chastens us like a father chastens his children. Out of love. So if we let a root of bitterness spring up and defile us, we have, we have come to the place where we're falling short of the grace of God because we don't recognize that our Father's training us with the very experiences that are making us bitter because we don't remember His loving care, His loving providence. How... Loving was God and patient that every time they murmured, He didn't wipe them out on the spot. Just, He told Moses He would several times, but Moses, as a type of Christ, pled with, with God, says, I'm going to listen for the glory of His name. He could just wipe them off. He said, I'm going to wipe them out, start over, but He didn't because He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is faithful to you, is He not? Has He not been faithful to you? We wrestle with the temptation of complaining and bitterness by remembering the mercy of God and being content with God's mercy and His grace. And we wrestle with the events in our lives by being content with God's providence because it's with impeccable wisdom that it comes. He makes no mistakes. You'll never go back to the doctor and say, look, doctor, you, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have given me that diet. You shouldn't have told me to do that. Isn't it good to know you'll never do that with God? His voice, His word is always accurate, impeccable, and righteous. And He calls us to hear that grace may flow. The grace of healing may flow through your life to other people. And what keeps us so often from hearing is a spirit of complaining and bitterness because we are deeply disappointed, ultimately, as Moses says, with God, aren't we? Now, I never say that. But when I trace back the origin of all my situations and every person in my life, from your children to your parents to your spouse to your church members, no accidents. You're bitter with God. And your complaint is with His mercy and His providence. Oh, beloved, let us, in times we complain. Anybody ever done that? Maybe all too often for us. Everybody ever experienced the deep disappointment of pain when somebody injures you? And it is an injustice. But see, we, we must be satisfied with the justice of God. And what does he say? I'm going to take care of it. Jesus reviled not, threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. He just says, Lord, that's your department. I just, I put that injustice. What an injustice! What an injustice! The Son of God crucified. Lay it on you, Lord. He's our Savior. He's our example. It will be paid for. In Christ, or that person will pay for it. So be forgiving. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. 
and fight the battle of unbelief. Because complaining and bitterness is unbelief, isn't it? I don't believe God will do anything about it. I don't believe God is merciful. I don't believe God's providence is for my good. I don't believe. When we hear by faith, and God is enough in His Word, then out of that faith, what happens? We do start keeping commandments. Not to be right with God. We already are gloriously by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you.